Well, good morning, Hillcrest family. It is good to be with you again, to you here worshiping at Nine Mile, and to you who are at Spanish Trail worshiping there, and also those who are watching online, it's good to be with you again this Lord's Day. And as the executive director for the Pensacola, your Pensacola Bay Baptist Association, I'm so thankful for the ministry of Hillcrest that you are extending around this county and also of your missional reach that you are extending around the world. And please know, as one whose my responsibility in ministry is to be able to coordinate things from a county level, I want you to know that you are making a difference. And so please keep it up. I know that in the midst of doing ministry, it can become very wearisome, but please do not give up. Keep going ahead. You are making a difference. Know that I am praying for you and your great pastor and staff, and I am here, privileged to be able to encourage you and equip you any way that I can. Would you turn to or turn on, whichever it might be, your mobile version, your copy of God's Word to the book of Acts, this fifth book in the New Testament, penned by Luke as the follow-up to his gospel letter. We will be this morning in the 14th chapter, continuing the Scent series that your pastor has been leading you on following the missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. I've entitled my message to you this morning, The Extreme Effects of Living Scent. The Extreme Effects of Living Scent. May we pray together and then we'll study God's Word together. Father, we thank you for a morning where we can come and worship together. Lord, and now a time after we have lifted you up, Lord, to hear from you through your word. And so, Father, would you teach us what we do not know in order to make us who we are not? Lord, I am thankful that I have the privilege of being the microphone for this moment of you. Lord, if I were to stray one syllable, please remove me immediately as we are here to hear from you and you only. May we leave from this place, not just more biblically informed, but look more like you when we leave than when we showed up this day. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you take just a moment to take your pulse? It might be two fingers that you want to use to your wrist, to your neck, activate your smart device, whatever it might be, but just take your pulse. Now, though you have been singing great, I can hear you from down here, by now you should be in what is called a resting state. And if you are nearing going to sleep already, some of you are already there. Now, I will just say the vast majority of you should fall somewhere between 60 and 120 beats a minute. Well, let me just say this. After calculating your number, I do have a request. If your number is 40 or below, you are heading towards a flat line. And if your number is above 200, you're heading to a heart attack. And so, if you are beyond either one of those extremes, do not stand up, lift your hand, and someone from our medical team will come and assist you. Your heart is a beautiful organ. It is four chambers working in non-vacationing harmony pumping blood throughout your body, giving testimony that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your heart has actually been designed 
to work most effectively when it avoids the streams, extremes of too low and too high. Doctors give medicine to keep you out of too low and too high. But when you encounter either extreme, the health of your physical body becomes in jeopardy. And that principle for your physical life is also true for your scent life as well. And in the 14th chapter of Acts, the apostle Paul and his missionary partner Barnabas, they experienced the extreme effects of living scent. And after a few stops in some earlier cities, they reached the city this morning of Iconium, a melting pot of Greeks and Gentiles and just a sprinkling of Jews. And it is in Iconium that they experienced the first of what we will see this Lord's Day as two extremes of living scent. Here in Iconium, and in a moment, they will be in Lystra to see the other extreme. And so would you follow along with me, beginning in verse 1. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and also of the Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and bittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some of the apostles. And when an attempt was made, both by the Gentiles and the Jews, with their rulers, to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it, and fled to the cities of Iconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him, had seen that he had faith to be made well. Said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Laconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. And preach the gospel so that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And he did not leave them himself without witness. And that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Verse 18. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and he entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel 
to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. I have a strong feeling, church, this morning that when you came into this worship center, you walked to your pew or at Spanish Trail, you walked to your seat, your chair right there, that you have sat in most every week before, unless, of course, you're a guest this morning. You have a seating habit. You have a pattern to your traveling into this place. For Paul and Barnabas, they too, they had a pattern. Paul and Barnabas, they had a pattern of entering the city, and they made a beeline for the Jewish synagogue. And every city and every town that had at least 10 Jewish men was authorized and permitted in order to have a synagogue. The synagogue, it was the place of Jewish worship, of cultural and idea exchange, and great interaction. It was like Facebook, but we actually saw people's faces, and there was a book, and there was some type of privacy. But they entered the city of Iconium, and Paul and Barnabas, they shared the message that was true here in the first century that's still true today in the 21st century. For instance, you cannot get to heaven because of your religious heritage. What the love that your mother or your father had for Jesus it will not do in order to get you to heaven. It comes by grace through faith. It's a personal relationship. You cannot get to heaven by your resume of good works. Just because you might look around you here or in your workplace or your neighborhood and you look relatively good compared to those around you does not entitle you to get to heaven. Again, it is by grace through faith. And your Messiah, your savior is the word, for your eternal problem of sin is not found in a political office. It is found on a cross, and then a grave, and then an empty tomb. He's now alive, and his name is Jesus, and he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, and no one gets into heaven, no one comes to the Father except through him. And anyone regardless of your background, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Such is a message of peace and hope then in the first century, and that truth still rings today in the 21st century. And let me just say this, you are able to make that decision today. If you walked in here to this place of worship thinking I'm gonna be informed or affirmed on how to get to heaven because you are a good person, or because of your parents' love of Jesus, I want you to know that is not how a person gets to heaven according to Scripture. If you want to know, if you want to know without a shadow of a doubt that you have a relationship with God, that your destination is in heaven, at the end of our service this morning, there'll be some folks right here who will instruct you. You come, let them know. Go to the Welcome Center and say, I thought I knew how to get to heaven, but I was wrong. Would you show me? And you can get that corrected today. I would hate for anybody to get to heaven and find out that their opinion was not what God judged the world on. And it's not. It's his word. But these instructions that Paul and Barnabas spoke for how one can be reconciled to God, it was not universally embraced. Regardless of the miracles that Paul and Barnabas performed or the effort of their actions or the boldness by which they spoke. See, here in Iconium, part of the crowd said, yay, and another part of the crowd said, nay. 
And church, that brings us to the first extreme effect of living scent. Number one is this, the extreme rejection or hostility. Church, exception and acceptance and rejection, it still occurs today when sharing the gospel of Jesus. Regardless of the clarity of your words or the effort of your actions. Now when someone rejects what you say according to your faith, I do not want you to think, well it is because I am just not a good communicator. Or when someone rejects you because of what you have said or the stances you have taken because of your faith, I do not want you to think, well I guess I did not put in enough effort. I do not want you to think that you are a failure. In those instances, I want you to remember that a similar response happened to the author of the majority of the New Testament. It's a given. Some people will reject Jesus' offer of grace and others will embrace it. Now I realize that some of you have been sharing your faith with your neighbors or the coworker or a classmate, a family member for years upon years. And some of those individuals have listened to you, and they have thanked you, and they have appreciated you, they have valued you, and some of them have begun to follow Jesus Christ for themselves. But others have ridiculed you, perhaps even this past week, some have ridiculed you. If they ridiculed you, again, I do not want you to think that you are a failure, Your responsibility as a follower of Christ is not to save anybody, but rather to share. That is our responsibility. It happened to Paul, it happens to us. You're not the only one who has ever experienced a harsh response. When people are divided because of your faith stances, as some of you have experienced over this past week and some of you will experience over the next 168 hours of the coming week, I want you to know that you are in good company with the pillars of Christianity. But I don't want you to think that those unkind words are more than what they are. Let me ask you this, are there any basketball or soccer fans here this morning? Two. (laughs) Watching a little bit of the World Cup I think today starts free trading or agency for the NBA. So much focus right now is on those two sports. But as I I watched a little bit of the NBA Finals and watched a little bit of the World Cup, I've noticed a couple patterns that are the same. The guys could be running down the court or down the pitch. Y'all should be impressed I knew that about soccer. And they get brushed. Just a hand barely touches them. And all of a sudden, that individual just flops onto the ground. Like they just got beaten all over the place, and they look around hoping that somebody would call a foul. And I look at that, and there's a theological phrase that our family uses all the time that comes to my mind. Suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) Why are you rolling around, flopping like a fish, when the person just touched you? You lost an eyelash. Get over it. But I doubt anyone listening to me this morning 
has experienced what Paul and Barnabas went through. See, some of you, you have gone through this past week and you have heard some cruel words, some ridicule maybe from a family member, a friend, or a coworker, or a classmate. A Facebook post was mean towards you. And you were looking around for somebody to call foul. But I want you to notice what Paul and Barnabas went through. It says, to mistreat them and to stone them. If you're wondering, that is with rocks and not getting them high on drugs. At this point, Paul and Barnabas, they practiced the theology of Kenny Rogers. You got to know when to hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away, and no one to run. And Paul and Barnabas, they went to a more welcoming audience. And friends, I want you to know that there are going to be times when you leave from Hillcrest and this campus and being trained to live sent that the people that you encounter will not welcome you. They will not like you at all. And it is what is happening in so many parts of the world. It will happen to you. And some people will get hostile. I was privileged to preach earlier here. I think it was January 7th when I was able to be with you last. The week prior to me being here last, there was a group of Christians in Nigeria. They were leaving their church gathering. At that point when 14 of them were shot and killed and another 12 were injured. All because that they were not Christians. This past Monday, I was in my office and tweaking away on, on this message today, and there was a notification that popped up in the corner of my screen, and it caught my attention. I had to click on it real quick. Because last Sunday in Nigeria again, 86 Christian farmers were killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, every month, 2,255 Christians are killed. 104 are abducted. 180 Christian women are raped, sexually assaulted, or they're forced into marriage. 66 churches are attacked. 160 Christians are detained without trial, and they are imprisoned. May we not get brushed with an unkind word and say foul. I want you to point out to you what Paul and Barnabas did not do in the face of the severe threats and their potential loss of life. They did not change their message. They did not change their testimony of grace into a word of convenience. They did not reduce the exclusivity of the cross for one that is politically correct. See, Hillcrest, when, when you live sent and when you leave from this campus every week to go to your neighbors and they reject you, harsh to you, mean to you, post things, share things about you, we can be very tempted to change our message so to something that is more palatable. We can even be tempted to water it down so others will accept us and appreciate us. 
For instance, someone might say, you really believe that old Bible? You? Well, most of it. Like Thomas Jefferson. He took the Bible and took a pair of scissors to it and cut out all the miracles and the parts that he really didn't believe. Now it's known today as the Jeffersonian Bible. Others might say, you know what, if you really want everybody to like you, you really need to soften up on that Jesus stance, your Jesus morality, your Jesus words. You, okay, whatever's needed. The fellow Christ followers get this. If we water down the message of Jesus Christ for the express purpose of being accepted in the short term, we will end up hurting our listeners in the long term. They will not know the full truth of God on the day that all of us stand before God. It's like a doctor giving a prescription that is only 1% potent and effective. Oh sure, the label on the outside, it looks good. But the contents on the inside do you no good. And so we must be a people, if you are to embrace what your pastor has been teaching to live sent, we must be a people who say the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Our shrinking back in the face of difficulty, it might be very comfortable for us in the immediate, but may I say it will be eternally damning for others. Those same people will stand next to me and you on that day when we stand before God and they would look at you and just say, why didn't you tell me about this? Our only response can be, well, I really just wanted you to like me. But Paul and Barnabas knew that living for Christ will be difficult. Not everybody will thank them for it. Not everybody's gonna run up and buy you a Coke or a coffee. The church in Antioch, they realized this. If you look at even in the 22nd verse, here's what it says. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Consider what Peter the Apostle's words, he said this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory in God rests on you. If you suffer, you should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Paul's words to his apprentice Timothy in 2 Timothy. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Or Jesus' words in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hillcrest, I want you to be aware that rejection will be a recurring 
part of you living sent. If you leave from the series that your pastor's in, if you going, are going to authentically apply it and not be just informed about it, there will be rejection. And in extreme cases, that rejection might turn hostile. But regardless, do not compromise your message. Just prayerfully consider, is it now time to temporarily change your audience? Paul and Barnabas, they knew it was time to change their audience, and so they traveled 30 miles down the road from Iconium to Lystra. This was the hometown of Timothy. This is where they would meet. And in Lystra, they got quite a different response, and that brings us to the other extreme effect of living scent. Extreme appreciation, misplaced worship. See, back in Iconium, the people, they wanted to stone Paul. Ahead in Lystra, they wanted to worship him. The same guys, the same message that was preached. Miracles and wonders were performed at both locations. Iconium, they were divided and reject. And Lystra, they are united and they adore them. Hillcrest, I want you to know there's going to be some times where you get similar responses when you go out into Escambia and Santa Rosa County. Like Paul and Barnabas, you too will minister to people in the middle of lifelong ailments. The ailment might be physical, might be cancer, cataracts. It might be mental, such as anxiety or depression. But it will definitely be spiritual because sin has crippled all of us for our lives. But as ambassadors of heaven, that's our job, that's our title, as we are ambassadors of heaven tasked to reconcile men back to God, you leave here in your ministries personally or as a church and you seize opportunities that come before you. And so what do you do as Hillcrest? You physically assist them. You pray over them relationally. You spiritually, you share the gospel with them. And in turn, God works through your life. Healing comes to that individual. Their mind is cleared. Their sin is forgiven. Now may I say this, God still answers prayer. Through God's people is the primary way God works. I want you to never forget that. God is still in the miracle working business. He is still listening to the prayers of his people and he is confounding the harshest of critics every day. But that moment when God answers your prayer and works through your life into somebody else, that moment of victory can quickly turn into a moment and opportunity of temptation. Satan will come and try to get a foothold into that situation and try to influence your mind so that all the praise and glory is directed away from God and placed right in your lap. You would walk away from a ministry opportunity and you would say, man, look what we did as a church. God answers a prayer, a healing happens, a depression is cured, somebody gets saved, and you might say, look what I did. Church, I want, church, I want you to be on guard when those thoughts creep in. Scripture says pride goes before a destruction, a haughty spirit before stumbling. In Lystra, the people gave Paul and Barnabas names from their Greek pantheon 
of gods. Barnabas, they called Zeus. And uh, Paul, he was called Hermes. He had the gift of gab. And beyond giving out nicknames, they began to sacrifice animals in their honor. I, I know some of the disaster relief team, you have your shirts on. I was here just, uh, I guess, middle of May when we had our disaster relief training. I want you to imagine for a moment that all of a sudden your disaster relief team is deployed or might be, and they go to a devastated area, and they work and they minister, and they remove a tree from somebody's house. They remove mud out of somebody's uh, house. They would give food to where food's needed. They share the gospel. And you're just doing ministry. People are appreciative, but before you know it, all of a sudden you turn around and that homeowner is sacrificing their pets to your disaster relief team in appreciation. <laughs> you're like, what in the world? So that's exactly what had taken place here for Paul and Barnabas. They were just doing ministry. And God worked through them. And all of a sudden, this lady, this individual, the people, they started sacrificing animals in their honor. Is this extreme? Yes. Their thankfulness went too far. But Paul and Barnabas, they did not open up new Twitter profiles at Zeus, at Hermes. There was no Instagram or Snapchat stories telling all that they just did. They did not even develop a conference how other people can treat you like gods. No gift shop was opened in Lister with bobblehead Pauls and bobblehead Barnabases. They avoided giving in to that temptation. They avoided the extreme. Their ministry, their following Jesus, their service, it was not about them. And neither should be yours or mine. Paul and Barnabas tore their clothes in a show of public grief to direct everybody's attention back to God. It's the soccer ball that takes credit for winning the World Cup. It's the flea riding the back of the elephant as it stampedes through the jungle, turn around and saying, man, look what we did. It's the pen that is used to sign global peace treaties, bragging of its power. Friends, we're the bull. We are the flea. We are the pen. God uses us. We are not the center of the story. Therefore, let me just say, as you continue every week, as you are, to be the church, and you leave from this place embracing sent lives and sent attitudes, and you extend your missional influence around the world, be careful that you always direct the attention back to God to give him the credit. He opened the door. He gave you the ability. He is sustaining your life. He is working in that person's heart you are ministering to. You just happen to be the one that owned the door or owned the resource. Don't get too big for your ministry britches. Your physical ministry is but a bridge to a spiritual destination. Frank has probably realized this more than anybody else in America, most all others in America. Frank Pomeroy was when I heard him speak just two weeks ago at the Southern Baptist Convention, but I heard of him last November. Frank Pomeroy, he was the pastor, is the pastor of First Baptist Sutherland Springs in Texas. Him and his wife were away 
for two days from their 50-person church there in Sutherland Springs, tiny Texas church. When the horrific happened, a gunman entered the church, killing 26 people, including Frank's daughter, Annabelle, and a number of other children, and injuring another 20. Extreme hostility toward Jesus showed itself again. Frank le- Frank's leadership since that November morning has been exhaustive. He conducted over two dozen funerals in just a couple days, including his own daughter's funeral, dealing with the press, a damaged facility, a struggling community, and much more. And through his service, the community and the country has tried to heap adoration upon him. But I heard him, and I saw him direct those accolades back to God. And God has honored that. Using Frank's words, the death of those 26, including a number of the children who would run up to him after Sunday school, because whoever got to the pastor first after Sunday school, he let them ring the church bell to release everybody from Sunday school to know it was time for church. Since that fateful day, he says those lives were the seeds of blood that God used for a revival. Since that fateful day, dozens and dozens and dozens of people have been saved and baptized in that church. Now over 200 people gather regularly and weekly at that church. And because of your gifts and other gifts through the cooperative program and the North American Mission Board, a church is being built for them that you, you would see up here in a second if you see. Can we put that back up? I don't know if that picture, it's a picture you'll see. That is actually uh, in the bottom right. That is the new church that part of your funds are helping to build. Church, though Frank deeply desired to avoid extreme hostility, it found him in this broken world. But God does not waste our pain. He uses it for his glory. It's the same way it is for you. He will not waste your pain. He uses it for his glory. When I travel, I want to know what I'm walking into. In a couple moments, you're about to leave from this room. You're going to go into the mission field. And I pray that you will live sent lives. That's why you're still here. Your job is to serve as an ambassador of heaven. That's your task. To reconcile men and women, teenagers, boys and girls, back to God. Where you live, where you work, that is just your location of your ambassadorial ministry. But when you go, some will say yay, some will say nay. You will face rejection, possibly hostility. Anticipate it. But do not compromise your message just to be liked. 
Suck it up, buttercup. Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And when you go, some people will welcome you, thank you, embrace you, and choose Jesus. But be sure to redirect them to not look at you, but to look at him. These are the extreme effects of living scent.